I, I like to explain it when I talk about um, what it feels like, um, like the, the saturation is more intense. So if you think about like a pale pink and a pale blue that, that most people feel, I feel um, like cobalt blue and magenta, just more saturated, more intense experience. Welcome to Eggshell Transformations, a podcast for intense people. My name is Imi, and I'm here with you on a journey. In today's episode, we will talk to Melissa Swartz. Melissa was born an intense, sensitive, empathic power seeker. She has an intuitive ability to decode misbehavior and a passion for giving a voice to children. She is the co-creator of Leading Edge Parenting, an author, coach, and public speaker. In this conversation, we will come to hear why Melissa thinks sometimes having a diffused vision is a relief. We will learn how to ground ourselves, even amongst busy travel schedule, crowds, and bright lights. We talked about what sensitive children need to hear. She shared how she turned her relationship with her mother around and helped her to understand and accept who she is. Finally, we touched on the power of EMDR therapy. Now, here's Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Amy. <laughs> Welcome to Excel Transformations. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. Whereabouts are you now geographically? I am in San Diego in California. Mm, <laughs> yes, and I'm in London, England. <laughs> Isn't technology amazing? <laughs> I know, I know. This is working well as well, for one. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for being on the show. This is a podcast dedicated to people who are mm, emotionally intense and quite sensitive. So I would love to start from the beginning of your journey. My first question is, what do you consider yourself an emotionally intense person? <laughs> a resounding yes. Um, I've been emotionally intense from what I hear from the, the moment I was born, probably even when I was still in the womb. Um, but my whole life, I've always felt things, uh, what I believe to be deeper than other people. Um, I, I like to explain it when I talk about um, what it feels like, um, like the, the saturation is more intense. So if you think about like a pale pink and a pale blue that, that most people feel, I feel um, like cobalt blue and magenta, just more yeah. saturated, more intense experience. That is a really lovely analogy and I can immediately visualize it. Yeah. Are you quite a visual person as well? I am, I am. I was actually a professional photographer for a little while. In school, yeah, and um, I I think that uh, my visual sense is one of my strongest senses. I can I think I see color um, uh, in more range than most people. You know, some people might look at um, uh, a picture and say, "Oh, I see you know red and orange and yellow," and I'll see um, a thousand different degrees of red and orange and yellow in in the you know the way that colors mix and things like that and um, yeah, I, I, I wear glasses or contacts and I've often thought about having corrective surgery on my eyes. You know, doctors have said to me over the years, do you want to do it? And I always say no, because 
I like being able to diffuse my vision um, for somebody, you know, as somebody who has such an intense sensory experience all the time, it's nice to be able to, I say, turn my eyes off yeah. um, and diffuse my vision because I do, I take in everything. Um, I notice details. It feels like my eyes are kind of always working overtime. So yeah. Well, it's really interesting because um, I did my LASIK surgery 10 10- Gosh, how I was 17 and I lied to my parents. I did it behind their back. <laughs> I saved up a whole lot of money and did it when the technology wasn't there. Um, but after how many, I think 15 years, I forgot how many years, but um, all these years has passed. Um, and actually my sight is beginning to deteriorate. Oh. So now I'm enjoying the joy of blurry vision as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what's really interesting in what you said is that sometimes it's okay to have a diffused vision in the yeah. metaphorical sense that sometimes it's okay to relax to not feel so much yes. do you have tools and strategies to kind of healthily cut off rather than unhealthily dissociate yeah i love the way that you raised that question too because i think um most sensitive, emotionally intense people have unhealthy ways yes. to associate um, things like technology or, or drinking wine or um, eating sugar, those sort of things that, that seem like they work, but they don't really. Absolutely. Um, Mm. Yeah. And, and for me, some of the healthy ways that I do it, fortunately, I live right by the ocean. And so I get to take a walk by the beach, which is a really good way for me to um, kind of step out of what's going on and um, recognize how small I am in, in comparison to the rest of the world. So that for me is, is really wonderful, just kind of going and breathing fresh ocean air. But of course, um, I'm not always there, right? Sometimes I'm traveling. Um, I travel to speak quite often, and that can be very overwhelming. The, the flying, staying in a hotel, being around crowds of people, speaking, the, the bright lights. Um, the thing that, that I, I do most regularly that's helpful is uh, a grounding meditation, wow. a sort of meditation to um, feel connected to the earth and, and um, release whatever it is that I'm absorbing or, or holding on to and um, kind of come back to feeling what my own energy feels like, that sort of peaceful, um, um, just, just presence and, and, and get away from that buzzing, that activity. I hear you. I hear you. So when you have access to it, ocean, water, nature, does that explain the brilliant painting behind or phot- <laughs> photograph behind you? Uh, yeah. Says it all. Yeah. And I love water. I'm, my birthday is in July. I'm a cancer and um, I, I've always just been drawn toward water. There's something you know about it being cleansing and nurturing and um, yeah, it, for me, it's a, it's a real comfort. Taking a, a bath or a shower is another way that um, sometimes just helps me kind of let go and cleanse whatever things I'm holding on to that aren't serving me. That is really interesting because that's what I find. Everyone resonates with one or two particular elements in nature. For me, it's wood. And mm. for many people would be water or just the earth. And the landscape that calms me down the most would be trees and forest mm. um, and not so much water. But um, what you're saying is that for you, any water elements, even when you're not by the sea, little, little things like a shower can help ground you. Yeah, 
Mm. Absolutely. Sometimes, um, you know, I've had moments when I'm speaking or after I'm done speaking where I'll just, even in the bathroom, splash some water on my face. And that feels um, like uh, it kind of snaps me out of uh, um, like an energetic trance that I might be in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so it's nice to know that's, yeah. yeah, it's always available. It's always with me. Yeah. It's always available. I have to come back to that meditation that you mentioned where you can do wherever you are when you're traveling, speaking. How long does it take you and what form does it take if you don't mind sharing the nitty gritty details? Sure. So um, the, the meditation that I like to do, it can take anywhere from two minutes to 15 or 20 minutes, really depending on how much time I have. And it's something that I use in between working with clients. Um, and again, it, it just kind of depends on how much time I have, but it's sort of a three or four step process. The first piece is about um, getting grounded and connecting um, to the earth and, and really feeling myself rooted into the earth. And then the next piece is about um, releasing any energy down through that connection. Um, and then the third piece is about drawing fresh energy up through that connection and letting it sort of fill up my, um, my body and, and, and cover the outside of my body as well. Um, so the sort of inner outer um, uh, protection. Yes. And then um, the fourth piece is to extend that energy around me and sort of find myself in a, in a bubble, <laughs> uh, a protective bubble that, that is um, filled with my own energy and sort of seals out anything that I don't want to allow in. So it's really a loving boundary. Uh, which I think for the the sensitive, emotionally intense people, um, going back to your beautiful question, that is the healthy um, act, act, action, right? Yes. It's it's taking care of ourselves on the front end rather than waiting until we feel um, invaded by other energy or overwhelmed because then we're just kind of coping with it. Then we're trying to um, metaphorically get the water out of the boat. And, and the way to keep that boat floating is to not let the water get in. Oh, and so for me, this meditation keeps that metaphorical water out of my boat so that I don't find myself sinking. Yeah, that's really well said. Because um, I, I always say to people, there are two kinds of cutting off. There is a healthy kind of checking out and say, okay, I have enough. I'm going to stop listening to my thoughts for now for five minutes. I'm just going to listen to my body and relax. But then there is the survival strategy, dissociative cutting off, which is just your body gets too much and it just have to cut off. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm sure it would be useful to some of my listeners who are also intense and sometimes need a way to ground themselves. Yeah. In your own, I know you have a lot of experience as well. We will get onto your own journey and your career later. Um, but I know you work with and see a lot of sensitive and intense people. Mm -hmm. the, the, mystery, the mystery question is, <laughs> why, I mean, it's okay if you don't have an answer to it, but why do you think some people are more intense and sensitive? Is it nature? Is it nurture? What is that about? Yeah, I think it's probably a combination. You know, um, Elaine Aaron's research tells us that um, somewhere between 15 and 20, maybe even 25% of the population has a genetic trait that makes them predisposed to being more sensitive, more emotionally intense. Um, but then it's also my belief that, um, that nature only goes so far. And then it's the way that we are uh, responded to, that we are understood or misunderstood, especially in our early years, 
that can amplify or um, sort of um, um, rein in that intensity. In other words, when a young child who is very intense emotionally and very sensitive to energy and, and through their sensory systems gets the message of what's wrong with you, why are you making a big deal about that, just don't let it bother you, that child doesn't learn one, how to handle their sensory experience or their emotional experience, and it gets compounded with the message that there's something wrong with them. Absolutely. And so their experience gets bigger and bigger and more intense and more magnified. So that for me is where that nurture piece comes in. On the other side of it, if that same child is met with understanding and guidance that teaches them things like um, age-appropriate meditation from a young age and healthy tools to identify and express their emotions, then the nurture element can actually help them um, not necessarily feel less intense uh, experiences, but handle it with more grace and less reactivity. And I think that's the piece where the, the nurture really impacts how somebody is handling life, whether or not they're given these tools at a young age or if they wait until they're adults to learn it, which is okay in any way that it happens. But of course, the younger you are when you learn these things, the easier your journey is. Absolutely. I mean, young children born came into this world. We're not meant to already know how to do things and how to regulate our emotions. And we need some extra guidance. And for the ones who are born emotionally more intense, we need extra, extra guidance and to be delivered in a kind and patient way, which is difficult. And, you know, I understand it's a really tall order, um, but it's also what they need to develop. Yeah. And actually more and more scientific research and, and, and attachment theories, more and more it's validating that there's something neurologically yes. essential. Yes. That sort of feedback. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what I found, because I, I work with parents of highly sensitive children, is many parents assume or expect that children can, can express themselves. You know, I often hear parents say things like, use your words. And I say, they don't know how to use their words. It would be like saying to an infant, stand up and walk, or saying to a toddler, drive the car. In other words, they need to have the experience. They need to have the natural progression of learning. And emotions work in the same way. We're not born emotionally intelligent. We have emotional experiences, but we need to develop that intelligence and the ability to articulate it. Mm. And that, that only gets developed through through patience and compassion and, and guidance. And it is a, a tall order for parents. And with these very intense, reactive, sensitive children, it the experience is heightened for everybody. And so it can feel very overwhelming, especially if a parent themselves is highly sensitive. Absolutely. Gosh, this has led to so much, so many questions that I wanted to <laughs> ask you. Um, and I will. But before I do, I would like to come back to you and your experience, because I know yeah. you had years of experience of you starting out, you started out as a nanny, didn't you? Yes, I did. And how did you go from being a nanny to being such an exceptional coach? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I actually um, studied child development when I was in high school. I went to a, a high school with a really unique program where we studied child development and ran a daycare program. And wow. so we got to interact with the, the children. School. 
in high school, yeah. And it was um, it was a low income program that served families in our community. And so we got to be with the children and then talk about the children and and how to meet their needs and why they were behaving the way that they were. So from a from a young age, um, this idea of understanding misbehavior as communication was really implanted for me. And so when I became a nanny, um, it was right after I graduated college. I was I'd studied photography and I was trying to build a photography business. And in the midst of that was working as a nanny to support myself. And I, I um, have memories of calling my mom, who is a child development specialist and worked with young children in her 45 plus <laughs> years of career. She'll not be happy that I'm giving away her age. Um, but I used to call her on my way home from being being with this little girl and say, did I handle this right? What do you think I should do? How could I have done it differently? And I used to kind of bounce things off my mom and get feedback. And it was I didn't realize it then, but my mom was really coaching me about how to be with this little girl. And I worked for that family and a couple of other families over a few years. Um, children of all different ages, and continued with that same approach of um, getting feedback and and really being honest with myself about when was I losing my patience? When did I feel like I didn't have a resource that I needed to help this child? Um, where could I be more consistent in creating routines and boundaries and very clear rules and expectations? How was I responding when a child was acting out? Was I taking it personally or was I reading into their behavior? And so that all gave me this um, really robust understanding of what it was like to be with young children in a professional way. Mm. Because a parent may use something like a timeout or they might get frustrated and yell. But when you're being, when you are a paid professional working with a child, those are not acceptable behaviors. Mm. And so I really had to be held to a higher standard because I was, I was, I was an employee. I wasn't working with, I wasn't with this child in the, the role of a parent. And over the years, um, I kind of got away from working with children for a little while, although I brought all of those skills with me into being a photographer. I was a, I shot people. And so um, a lot of it was about building rapport and, and making very fast, authentic connection. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, I had this very windy, meandering professional path that led me to working with highly sensitive children starting about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and now my mom and I actually work together. We share a coaching practice. We wrote a book together um, called Authentic oh. Parenting Power. Authentic and, Parenting Power. I'll put it yeah. in the show notes later. Yeah. yeah. And this book um, was really my entry into uh, being a parent coach because as my mom started writing this book and I was reading what she was writing and sharing thoughts, I would say to her, actually, you're missing what I needed as a child and you're missing what these sensitive kids needed. And here's what those parents need to hear to understand why their children are behaving that way. And I started speaking from the child's perspective and offering this, this different idea rather than just speaking to the parents Mm. or their, their child. Yes, I was very curious about that as I heard your story that you're actually working with your mom now about parenting and that's parallel itself. It's really intriguing. So yeah. if you don't mind me getting a little bit personal, sure. what, what was childhood like for you? Yeah. And I think ultimately I'm interested in how this process of working with your mom on a work project mm-hmm. might potentially be quite healing for you. Yeah, it was, like you it was very good. Up for yourself when you were younger and you were not able to. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, that's three questions in one. That's okay. 
I'll try and answer them. And if I miss anything, feel free to remind me. Um, my, in my very early years, you know, of course, my memories are all sort of unconscious at this point. But um, from what I've heard from my parents and cousins, family that was around, I was a really challenging child, or so they tell me. Um, I was born very sensitive and intense. When my mom and I um, do talks together, she'll usually begin a talk by saying that my older brother, um, if he could speak when he was born, he would have looked around and said, ooh, this is going to be fun. And he just kind of coasted through life. And when I was born, I would have said, oh my gosh, I don't want to be here. Put me back in. Because when I was born, life always felt like too much for me. Mm. Um, You know, the sensory experience felt too intense. Everything felt challenging. I had a hard time kind of settling and and being comfortable. Um, And because both of my parents were educators, my mom was was an early childhood educator, um, they would tell you if they were sitting here right now that they had a lot of ego with my older brother because everything they did worked. He was sweet and easygoing and he listened. And very often we we use the marker of a child listening as them being good. Um, Personally, my perspective is a little bit different. I don't think it's actually emotionally healthy for a child to just listen. I think um, there are different ways that we can help children be cooperative and we can have consistent rules and boundaries and ways of doing things to keep children safe. But just blindly listening to authority is not necessarily a mark of a, of a good child. And I was very much um, not a listener. You know, my mom tells the story of she would, my brother would climb on something and she would say to him, that's not for climbing. And he would stop and I would climb on something and she would say to me, that's not for climbing. And I would look her right in the eye and keep going. And so we were just born with very different hard wiring and somewhere around um, when I was four or five after, you know, my parents having these thoughts of she's too sensitive, too intense, too reactive, too emotional. um, They realized that I wasn't changing that, that no um, sort of shaming it out of me was going to change who I was. Um, I, I like to say it's much like, you know, if, if, you look at a child who's born with blue eyes and you say to them, why are your eyes so blue? They should be brown. You cannot shame those eyes into being a different color. And our, our um, temperament, our hard wiring is the same way. It is, it is not going to change. It is who we are. And um, so when I was about four or five, my mom started taking parenting classes, which I think was a bit of an ego blow because she was a, a, an early childhood educator. She got her master's degree from Columbia University, a prestigious school in, in New York City. And she knew what she was doing. She had been um, successful in her career, and yet none of it worked with me. And what she realized in taking this class is that who I was was different and that I had different needs. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I, I struggled socially and academically over the years, as most sensitive children do, because I didn't fit into the, the box and I didn't play the game and I pushed back and I questioned why things were the way that they were. And I had a couple of very close friends, but generally I didn't really care about being popular or fitting in with the main crowd. And, um, and so, you know, most things that children do, like going to school dances and being on sports teams, didn't really appeal to me. I was much more interested in um, making art and having deep conversation with one, you know, one or two people or reading those sort of things. And yeah, so down the road, when my mom started writing this book, we really got into conversation about what I needed as a child. And we hadn't really had the opportunity to have those conversations. You know, most 
Yeah. What were the things that you had needed? Yeah. Yeah. The things that I needed were um, just to be understood for who I was instead of being questioned. Mm. Uh, I, I watch a lot of parents with sensitive children say things to their children like, why are you so upset? Or why, why are you making a big deal? They can't explain it. That would be like saying, why are your eyes so blue? I don't know, because that's how my genetics are. Yeah. As, as, you know? as, as soon as you said that, I remember times when my parents said that to me with yeah. all the best intention. Yeah. It's really hurtful. It's it really is hurtful. hurtful. Yeah. And what I tell parents now when I work with them is instead of asking your child, why are you so upset? Just mm-hmm. validate their experience and say, you're so upset. This is a really big deal for you. Mm. This feels really big. Yeah. You feel really angry. Yeah. Yeah. And by giving them that language and affirming what they're experiencing, they begin to identify it themselves and they begin to, to learn to say, I feel upset. I feel angry. I feel nervous. I feel scared. And that's just how they learn to regulate emotions themselves. Exactly. Becoming an adult. And once you've got into certain ways of dealing with things and certain patterns, it becomes really hard to shift things. Exactly. And I think for many sensitive adults, because they did not get that in their childhood, they have these emotional experiences as adults, Mm. but don't know how to identify them. And so then they turn to, again, that beautiful question you asked to these unhealthy regulating behaviors, things like isolation or using a substance or food or technology to numb how they're feeling because they don't know what to do with it. Mm. And when we give children the ability to deal with it in their younger years, even just by saying, oh, you're so, this is so hard. Mm. You're so upset right now. You're really angry that I told you it was time to leave or you're so sad that you, that you have to stop playing. Then, then we learn as adults how to identify what we're feeling and we, we don't beat up on ourselves for having those feelings. I think a lot of sensitive adults don't know what to do with their emotional experience and then they feel kind of shame and lament that they're having it. You know, just now when you said those words to the imaginary child, I feel yeah. very moved by the compassion in your voice and in your eyes. And I was just think I was just thinking about all the adults out there who hasn't had the fortune to have such experience. Their parents might no longer be there or just don't have the capacity um, to be that holding grounding force for them. What should they do? I mean, can they be there in their parents? Is there a way of them? I mean, yeah. they can't go back to the past and change their childhood. What can they do today? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's, they could do a beautiful meditation where they sit with their own inner child Mm. and they, they, they see themselves as that young child and, and give that inner child that compassion. Mm. Because I know for me as an adult, um, when I was able to give that to my own inner child, I stopped needing it from other people. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, the other thing that I've found is so many parents struggle to do this with their children because they didn't get it. And when parents learn to do this for their own children, it's actually healing their own inner child at the same time. And I think, um, you know, when, when you're blessed with a sensitive, intense child in your life, it is, it is, um, now it depends on your spiritual religious beliefs, but personally, my spiritual belief is that that child comes into your life to help you heal. That child specifically chooses you to have that experience and you choose them. And, and so there's a healing that comes 
um, through that parent-child relationship too. That is really beautiful. I, I've read a book by Andrew Solomon. Um, it's called Apples Falling. I forgot it. Something, something about falling fallen far from the tree. <laughs> I'll um, put it in the show notes later. But um, in there, he said something about when you are blessed with a child who is wired differently, you have two choices. You know, you either rise above the occasion and raise them in the best way you can and learn from it, or you just give up and torture both the child and yourself. And that leads me to a really important question. How, what kind of, how important it is, you know, the self-compassion, the role of self-compassion plays in parenting, especially when you have a sensitive child and you are sensitive and a lot of things get triggered. You know, it's, you know, we talk about it as if it's simple, but it's a really complex emotional matrix to name the heart, to name the difficult things. I know some parents look at their child and they get envious of what they the child has and they didn't yeah like you said they never had it before they just have no idea how to give it yeah and when the child doesn't stop demanding crying shouting as a parent you feel really helpless yes and there's just so much feeling and then you feel guilty for feeling angry or you feel helpless and etc so yeah that that wasn't really a well-formed question i think i was asking about self-compassion yeah, I think self-compassion is the most important thing for all of us. Mm. Because if we um, are beating up on ourselves for any reason, then that's actually what we're modeling to the people around us. You know, if if parents are modeling self-compassion, if 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 they're easy on themselves, if they're loving to themselves, then that's what their children are are picking up from them. And I, again, I often say to my clients things like, you don't have to do the laundry today. You don't have to do everything perfectly. Um, for me, the real indication, the, the marker is, how do you feel about yourself when you lay your head on your pillow at night? Are you beating yourself up? Are you remembering that one little incident where you yelled or you lost your patience? Or are you looking at the, the, the connection that you had with your child that day? Are you, are you um, feeling good about the way that you navigated challenges for the most part. Mm. That for me is, is the real marker of the self-compassion is what is our inner talk really looking like and how can we continue to soften it? Because if we can't be compassionate to ourselves, nobody else can, can really give that to us. Sure. Oh, yeah. And we've talked about that, too, because um, there were there were many years where I just I didn't feel understood and I didn't feel accepted for who I was and I couldn't change it. You know, um, when you it's it's just like my eyesight, you know, there's I, I wish I could see without my glasses, but it's it's just not possible. And no amount of shaming or condemnation is going to change that. And when it's about who you are, your, your, you know, your core identity, and you get these mixed messages, um, it does make you angry. And it, well, for some people, you know, my, my predominant stress response is to fight. So I do, I, I tend to get angry. Some people shut down, um, you know, some sensitive, intense people who, who have the same sort of experience that I had may just become very withdrawn from life and very, um, you know, defeated. And, 
Yeah, exactly. And so um, for everybody, it kind of shows up differently. But for me, yeah, I had plenty of years where I was angry and I still have um, moments where it flirt, you know, flurries kind of in and out. But I'm also realizing that as an adult, now it's up to me yeah. to bring that self-compassion to my, my inner child and nobody else can go back and understand her in the way that I wish she would have been understood. Now that's on me. That's my responsibility. And it's also my privilege. You know, it's, it's my right. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's very empowering and freeing to know that I don't need anybody else to validate who I am anymore, that now it can come from, from myself. Yeah. It sounds to me, it's the game changing bit is being able to be your own best parent Wow. able to hold your ground and once you've done that you become more self-sufficient and in yeah. a in a in a way you're able to release the anger and expectation towards your mother or your parents absolutely yeah and i've certainly done plenty of healing modalities you know um and and all of that has been a piece for me so i think it's also important to acknowledge that um we can't do it on our own we're social beings and we're not meant to do it on our own um, and that sort of isolation is a piece that, of, that, of that delusional thinking. Yes. What have you found to be the most helpful out of all the modalities that you have tried? I, personally, I have found EMDR therapy to be the most ah. incredible. Um, and and you, you probably know, yeah, you probably know a bit more about it even than I do because of your professional background. But um, for me, it really helped me get into the, the unconscious beliefs um, I like to think about it as though, you know, my, my mind is a garden mm. and MTR helped me get into where the weeds were and pull them up by the roots mm. rather than kind of picking them off at the top of the surface. And so I was able to really get into where did this false belief come from? Where was it planted? Yeah. And then remove it at the source so that um, it removed the emotional charge for me. So I could still think about a specific memory mm. or even a belief that I used to have and Whereas years ago, it would have caused all of this inner turmoil and tension in my body. Now I can think about it and it's like, oh, yeah, that happened. Or, yeah, I used to believe that. But it it doesn't um, affect me anymore. Wow. It's amazing to hear that you had such good um, experience with it. For, all, yeah. for, the, for those who don't know, EMDR stands for, let me think, Eye Movement Desensitization Processing. Yes, I, ha I never had extensive period of EMDR therapy myself, but I'm trained actually as a therapist. Yeah. Um, I didn't go for the full certification. And I in, in that training, we had to do certain exercises on each other. And what I found the most powerful was that really unusual memories came up. It's like unusual dreams. Yeah. And the, the, the impact wasn't immediate, but once you give it some time, it does seem to change certain yeah. things in the background. Mm. Yeah. The way that I explained EMDR, similar to what you just said, was if, you, if you've ever seen a clown um, kind of pull a handkerchief out of their mouth where they pull it and then they keep yeah. pulling it, do you know what I'm talking about? That's what EMDR felt like to me. It was like I started to pull on one memory and then all of a sudden, all of these other things were attached to it. All of these subtle, very... Um, seemingly insignificant childhood memories were all attached and i was able to see how this thread this thread of false belief was woven through so many experiences and it was almost like it was being pulled out of my psyche 
And then I can see it like, oh, this is what I used to believe. Oh, this used to feel so true. And now it doesn't feel true anymore. And it's now lost its power for me. That's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. Okay. A change of subject. (laughs) I know you have a sensitivity summit coming up. Or maybe when this aired, it's already out. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends when this is aired. What do you hope it will inspire? Yeah, my vision for this Sensitivity Summit, it's a free virtual summit. And um, the reason why I wanted to do it was because I always knew something was different about me. I knew I was sensitive and intense, but I wasn't able to label it. And um, I was even doing this work coaching parents of sensitive children before I, I, I heard the term highly sensitive. And so my vision for doing the summit was to help other people like me who were sensitive, intense, reactive, um, who, but weren't able to, to identify what was different about them, begin to learn that they weren't alone and learn about this genetic trait that a fifth of the population experiences um, because it is, it is um, true across cultures, religions, gender. There is no, um, there's no one who's immune from being highly sensitive. It is innate. It is inborn. There's nothing wrong with us. There's nothing special about us. That's my own personal belief. It just is the way that we are. Mm. And when we, come to understand that we are hardwired differently and that we have different needs than neurotypical people, people that are not highly sensitive and don't have unique neurological wiring, then we can thrive, then we can be okay. And so um, my vision for the summit was to bring together different experts in the field of high sensitivity who could share their own personal experience, their professional experience, and offer these different glimpses of insight into um, how to thrive with the traits so that people can come to understand themselves and and nurture that inner child that maybe didn't get it when they needed it. Yeah, I I love it because on the surface it seems to all it seems to be geared towards parents, but actually, once as the conversation unfolds, it's not just for parents of actual children, but also for parents for all our inner children. Yeah, actually, it's applicable to most to all of us. Mm. Yeah. Great. What is your definition of resilience? Oh, that's a good question. I, I suppose for me, resilience is um, it's it's having your own internal resources to draw on. You know, um, because if we're looking outside of ourselves to be okay, we're in big trouble. Mm. Um, you know, it, it almost goes back to what I was saying about about me being soothed by being by the ocean. It works if I'm by the ocean. But if I'm in um, a place that's landlocked, then I'm in big trouble. And so the resilience is knowing that I've got all of the resources within me to, to handle life and to thrive regardless of what else is going on. That is a really good definition. And it's also the definition of adulting, of becoming yeah. our own adult, of knowing what we have in our arsenal, our toolbox. Yeah. Like I know I have a, a few books that I just go to when I'm feeling out of sorts. Hmm. Yeah. And on that, please share one book that has changed your life. Oh, just one. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, it's hard. It's really, it's hard to choose one. I think I would have to say The Highly Sensitive Person by Elaine Aaron because um, of all of the books I've read, that book was um, 
the most affirming and validating for me. It, it really helped me to feel like I wasn't crazy and that there was nothing wrong with me because for most of my life, I thought there was something wrong with me for experiencing life the way that I do. Mm. Um, you know, it would be like not being able to see your whole life and then putting on a pair of glasses and having clear vision. Mm. Um, that book, The Highly Sensitive Person, really helped me see myself clearly and, and um, the, the funny thing about when I read that was I realized how many of my personal friends were also highly sensitive. And I remember texting a, a picture of the cover to all of these friends saying, oh my gosh, this is who we are. Can you believe it? And there's nothing wrong with us because um, it, was, it just felt so validating. Yeah, yeah. Great. Please share one quote, song or poem with our listeners who are also emotionally intense, sensitive, gifted, and probably have felt misunderstood all their life. Yeah, I, I think most musicians and artists and poets have probably felt misunderstood their whole life and are highly sensitive and that's probably why they um, turn to that form of expression. Um, on that same vein, I think uh, Alanis Morissette, if you're familiar with her music. Yes, yes, she's you know so authentic, I love her. Yeah, she's highly sensitive, and um, she was actually featured in the movie Sensitive with Elaine Aaron, and um, it's funny because when I was an angsty teenager, I really loved her music, and um, as an adult now, you know, gosh, it's probably 20, 25 years since her first album was released, um, she's kind of really come into herself as a, as a sensitive artist, and it's funny to me to think back to when she first started writing music and how I identified with the, the struggle and the angst and the feeling misunderstood. And, and now both of us have had our own personal journeys and now her music is, um, and, and her career is much more about um, helping people understand the trait and building connection. And um, I know she talks a lot about attachment parenting now. And um, so I, I suppose she would be the artist that, that um, I really appreciate her sensitivity and the way that she's woven it throughout her career. Mm. Is there a particular song that touches you? Um, I, there is a song that she wrote that I believe it's called Thank You. And it's really just a, a song about gratitude. Yeah. Um, appreciation, which I think for sensitive people is a really powerful tool. Mm. Um, you know, I, I know I've had days where I've just been um, struggling with everything and, and wanting to just crawl into bed and pull the covers over. And one of the things that's really helpful for me is to make a gratitude list. Um, sometimes I like to do it alphabetically. Um, there's something about triggering both both sides of my brain and trying to alphabetically go through and name things that I'm appreciating and maybe even write it down mm -hmm. that can get me out of my stress response mm -hmm. and kind of shift the, the chemistry that's in my body. So I'm thankful for the apple that I'm eating, the bed that I'm sleeping on, the comb that I'm using. Oh, I'm good at this. All of those things. Yeah. yeah. And, and by the time you get to the end of the alphabet, um, notice if you feel a little bit different. You know, maybe it's it's a small degree, but um, if there's any shift in the wanted direction, then it, for me, it's a tool that works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. This has been wonderful. Oh now, gosh. can you tell us where to find you on the internet? Yeah, so um, you can find me online at leadingedgeparenting.com. Leading Edge Parenting. Yeah, that's the company that my mom and I um, run together where we both coach parents. And I'm also on Facebook. Um, 
can find me and I, I have a, a private group for parents of highly sensitive children and it's just called highly sensitive children. And um, in that group, I bring together there are thousands of parents from around the world who um, I love that they all share the same experience mm-hmm. of wanting to understand their children. Because like I said, it doesn't matter if you're in London or the United States or Hong Kong or Australia, um, India. We have lots of parents from Asia and Europe and Africa. I mean, it, it really is incredible. Um, and they are all having the same experiences with their children, these wow. children. So that's um, that community is a really wonderful way to interact with me and other parents too. Okay. So for the parents amongst us, please check it out. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Amy. It's all my pleasure. Appreciate it. All right. Bye for now. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. For more, please head to eggshelltransformations.com. There you will find more stories, articles, and resources for people just like me and you. Bye now. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Moving forwards, never looking back Just one more foot in front of all those countless others And we're there